I invite you this morning to turn your Bibles to the epistle of 1 Peter. We find ourselves in the third chapter in week 8. You can go back online if you want to catch up on any of this. And uh, it's been a lot of fun just walking expositionally through God's Word together. And as we do that today, I've just called this Having a Defense. There are a lot of things here that I'm going to be talking about today, but one of the big themes I talked about earlier, alluded to, is having a gospel defense. But I want to get into this scripture, and I want to, uh, I want to just try to walk through it with you. So if you'll turn there, 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, there, verses 13 through 22. Matter of fact, I just want to read it to you. Will you stand with me? Listen to God's Word. I'm reading from the NLT this morning. i tell you what translation, because I always change it up, just so I can confuse you. And uh, I used to do exclusively NIV, then I went in the LLT, uh, New Living Translation. Now I just, But I read from all of them. But I want you to hear it this morning. And now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. And then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you have because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. So he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. Now let me just say this. When I get to this section this morning, I've read this over and over. I've done exhaustive study on this. This, is, this would be a good movie. Okay, let me just, we'll, we'll, I'll just tell you later. I'm just trying to set you up so you don't leave. So he went, he preached to the spirits in prison, and those who had disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently when Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Christ has gone to heaven, and he is seated in a place of honor next to God, and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. God, thank you for your word, that we've got a map for life. You can be seated. Now, we read that together, and I just wanted you to see this because we've been walking through 1 Peter, and 1 Peter has been telling us a lot about how great majestic salvation is, and he also has been talking about suffering and about persecution and about hardship. And about 50% of the book is about hardship. And do I have any witnesses today? Can anybody in the room identify with hardship? Well, it'd be every Look at it, only a few honest people here today. Okay. Well, we perceive it. It is a reality. And God says to endure it. He didn't say if you have hardship. He says when you have hardship, because it'll come to all of us. And those desiring to live a godly life, the Scripture says, will be persecuted. Now, that, that's an interesting thing. It says those that desire have uh, in their heart to live righteous, to live for God, to pledge the heart, that song, to stand for God, hearts abandoned to Him, those are the ones that are going to be persecuted. And you're saying, well, man, why do we do that? Because God knew if we would be persecuted, he would strengthen us. He knew he would be with us. He knew he wouldn't abandon us. And he knew it would draw out of us impurities. And he knew he would strengthen the inner man. Because when you go through persecution, you have nobody to lean on but Jesus. Amen? 
And you're saying, well, man, what is my persecution? It could be deeply physical. There's a lot of physical persecution in our church. It could be emotional. It could be uh, spiritual in great ways, in great depths. But here in verse 13, he says, Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to good, do good? And he gets in this whole thing of being uh, in the submissive life and suffering. I went back, because of course I studied John Wesley going to a, 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 a seminary that was in the Wesleyan tradition, but uh, he, I found this interesting story that I never found in all my readings of him that when he was on his travels in England, he would suffer greatly for preaching the gospel, for riding horseback from going to place to place. And one time, he went three days, and he felt like he had no persecution. Now listen to this. this is, his heart was so after God. I, I want this kind of heart. And he says, I am not being persecuted, so the hand of God must be off of my life. God, put your hand back on me. God, let me suffer for you. So one day he was out on the third day, there'd been no suffering, and this guy cursed him and just went all over him for preaching the gospel. And he threw his arms and he raised his voice to heaven saying, Hallelujah, God's hand is upon me. Now I know you're going, well, I'm glad that was John Wesley because that ain't me, Bubba. I mean, how many of you have been asking God for persecution because you haven't faced persecution in three days? I don't think so. You're saying three weeks, three years, three decades? I don't want to suffer. But Jesus said it's inevitable that you will suffer for my name's sake. You just got to read through the epistle of Peter and you see this whole theme over and over. But there in 14, he goes, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you. See, there's a camp out that goes, if you're a good Christian, you won't suffer. That is the most non-biblical thing I can hear. Because righteous people suffer. Write that on the side. Righteous, holy Christians, followers of Jesus, suffer. There is a false theology propagated, pushed out, crammed down our throats today. If you are righteous enough, if you are good enough, you won't suffer. That is not what Jesus said. Matter of fact, he says, hey, I suffer, you're going to suffer. Count it all joy, my friends. So this whole courageous thing. Matter of fact, the Scripture says men love their darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil, but all those that live godly in Christ Jesus will do what? They will suffer persecution. Um, it, it's this deal that at some point it's just going to come to all of us. Matter of fact, I, I, wanna, I found this illustration. I like it. Listen. It's like this morning, we could cut the lights off in here. Please don't, tech booth. But if we cut all the lights off in here, this room would be completely dark. I mean, your pupils uh, would uh, dilate, and you would be a little ticked off. Although somebody would come, man, that's pretty cool. We'd go to sleep, and you would get accustomed to the darkness. And as soon as the lights came back on, when we watch videos upstairs for our life group, and then we turn the lights back on, it just uh, it, it, it frustrates people. It hurts people because the light's on. And you know, that's the way our lives are. When we live for Jesus Christ and we envelop Him and our life radiates the Gospel, it radiates Christ, guess what happens? Some people are offended. Some people are irritated. And this morning, I just want you to know, it is okay to irritate people. Now, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. I, I, I'm talking to you, uh, video. Make sure you get this, okay? Somebody just went, that is what I've been waiting to hear since I started coming to this church. 
Because some of you are very good at irritating people. Turn to your mate right now and go, it is not right for me to irritate you. Go ahead and tell her. Tell him. I know some of you are so in love. You're like, oh, we don't irritate each other. How long have you been married? A week? Okay, here we go. All right. All right. But we are going to irritate one another. But in Christ, in Christ, in His righteousness, in a holy position with God, we will become an irritant to the world. Have you ever noticed when you really started selling out to the Savior and you took a stand, that sometimes people grow uncomfortable with you? Sometimes without opening your mouth? And sometimes when you do make a witness of favor and inclination of loving Christ, it just makes people feel a little uneasy. I've had so many people say, well, and now I'm a preacher, so that's not even fair because you just go, yeah, preacher, man. We, you just irritate everybody all the time. That's your job. Senior irritator. Well, gee, that's not when I want to get welcome into heaven. Welcome, my irritator. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. But we are going to irritate people, and we are going to suffer. And when you live for Christ, your life is going to be different. If, if your life doesn't irritate people at some point because of the goodness of God in your life, I would check out who you're living for. Now, I don't want you to go home and go, baby, I am spiritual. I irritate people all the time. They tell me I'm a pest. No, no, you've you got some other sin issues going on. Okay, okay. Je the Bible says it says, do good. Jesus went about doing good. He healed people. And the Bible says, and that was very good how many of you think it's good when jesus heals people that's great he's healed some of my friends he's healed me i read the scriptures all through the new testament we have accounts of the stories of jesus and he heals people of all kind of diseases and demons and raises the dead and he, he goes places and the man they're just bombarding him so the persecution i'm just right there persecution is the result of obedience to christ sometimes persecution is the result of obedience the underground church, the persecuted church this morning, they have PhDs in persecution. I have to really read about it and study about it and read my Bible. Oh, I, I suffer and you do too, but it's, I mean, nobody's threatened me. I'm going to cut your head off if you preach the gospel. Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to lock the doors of the church. You may never go again. I mean, I don't know if that'll come to us one day, but I've not really suffered persecution in that state. But for us, we go, well, I'm, I'm suffering. It's hard. And have you ever wondered this? Sometimes when you, when you, and some of you are sweet, and some of us aren't, but when you're really sweet, people ever ask you, why are you so sweet? I, I know that never happens to some of you, right? Why are you so kind? That's an introduction, an opportunity for you to build a bridge for Christ. Well, my mama was sweet. Oh, oh bless your heart. Oh, my grandmama was sweet. Well, mine wasn't, okay, but I loved her. I can't believe I just said that. I had one grandmother that was incredibly sweet, and I had one that was a, uh, I gotta repent. Uh, she, she was extremely frank. She was stern. And, uh, and she came to live with us after my mom got killed for about uh, three months. Yeah, and I celebrated the day she moved out. And, uh, and uh, she just, she, uh, she, she was a lady of dignity and honor, and she believed in no foolishness. Give me a break. I'm nine years old. I have a cast on my leg. I mean, I'm all tore up from the wreck. I heal from the wreck. And I'm thinking, this is certainly going to give me an excuse to misbehave. Not with her. Okay, anyway. I probably should be going to counseling for that. I never realized that was an issue for me that I just shared that with you. Okay, yeah. But I do love her. Okay, I have a picture of her in my study. I mean, I, God help me. Okay, here, here you go. Just write down John 15. I'm getting back to the text. The text will never get me in trouble. 
If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you, and they hated me without a cause. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you, said Jesus. John 15, other passages in the New Testament. You're in good company when you're persecuted. Now, I, I talk about this persecution like, wow, let's all rejoice. We're persecuted. The Bible says rejoice. But it's very hard to get there. Trusting Christ, enjoying Him, not being intimidated, not being in trouble, but letting Him take over. So Peter, in, in this first few verses, he just assumes something, that you and I will be good. Because we're Christians. Because we love the commandments of God. We love God. We love our neighbor as ourselves. I mean, that's what Scripture teaches us. So we suffer for being a Christian. We, we, we bear the marks. The marks of persecution. For some of the church, it means whippings and beatings and beheading and all kind of gross things. But for us, it means we suffer the marks of loving Jesus. We stand up for Christ and we, we suffer possibly loss. I, I don't know what it's going to bring to us, but here, here's what happens in Montgomery. We get excluded from circles. And that is painful, because I've certainly been a part of that. I've been in the who's who, I've been in the who's not. <laughs> and I've been in the popular crowd, I've been in the unpopular crowd. And then I said, you know what, the best crowd is the Jesus crowd. Would you agree? Amen. But can I just be really on raw, on the edge? I don't like being excluded. How many of you just say this morning, I love to be excluded? You're odd. I'm not saying you're wrong. But it's part of following Christ. Sometimes we get excluded. I mean, I think we should have great uh, influence and witness. And I'm not asking us to be a bunch of weird... I mean, you can walk in here today going, I love that message. He gave us permission to be ugly and rude and irritated. You're not listening to the full text. You've got to listen to this over and over. Okay. Philippians 1.21, right down this passage. My life verse. To live is Christ, to die is gain. So I would say, for me to live is blank, to die is gain. Fill in the blank for your life. For me to live is cars, relationships, money, guns, houses, whatever. Just fill it in. To, for me to live is this. And I hope you can say, you know, it used to be this. It's becoming more Christ. Or it is Christ. Or I'm centering on Christ. And, and I want to live for Him. And that's going to bring persecution because you're telling me that. So we're, we're talking about a case for faith, a case for Christianity. And uh, one of the guys that I love, Lee Strobel, great investigative reporter, came out of Willow Creek, and he lectures extensively, tremendous mind. He wrote uh, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith. He's written all these great books. Just write down there today, if you want to have a book on apologetics that's good, kind of a current thing, it will just help you. It will push you down the road to knowing why you believe and what you should believe. And so... This morning, I want to talk some about just being a practical witness for Christ. What, what does that look like? Especially as we're in this Easter season. Um, it's, 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 an, it's an inward looking at ourselves and doing inventory with God, but then it's looking beyond ourselves and it's looking outside of ourselves to see what God wants, but also to see what God has. The circles of influence, our world, our friends. Uh, I'm really excited about this next week because I'm thinking, man, my invitations go up. I always invite people, but I'm hoping every one of us will try to bring at least one next weekend. I mean, we just need to be invited. And some of you are like, man, this is really uncomfortable. Well, I just invite you, man, just to trust the Holy Spirit. To, I mean, I'm not asking you, you've got to necessarily go up and share the gospel with them. That'd be awesome. 
But just to say, hey, would you come? Our church would, would love to have you. We've got a place for you. Because Jeff and the team and myself, we're going to partner with you and our volunteers and nursery workers and all that to have an atmosphere that people could come to faith. I mean, wouldn't that be the greatest joy of Easter that many people came to faith in Jesus Christ? You're saying, well, no, it's going to be a chocolate bunny and I'm going to take his head off. Well, you've got issues, okay? I mean, you know, for some, that's it. It's like, okay, I'm eating the head off a bunny. That's what Easter is all about. It's all about my new outfit. I, I think all those things are fine, but if you miss the proclamation of Christ, then we've missed it. So, God, help us to share, to be prepared, to, uh, uh, you know, to do the things that would honor you. So, reading Scripture, there's at least 24,000 manuscripts known in the New Testament in the accuracy and the veracity of God's Word, and, and it's the most uh, substantiated book ever because it's a living book it's god's word i mean you know it's like you got to have you got to have greater faith not even believe in christ but move on down here so he says don't worry be afraid of their don't worry or be afraid of their threats instead you must worship christ as the lord of your life one translation says set apart sanctify jesus christ as lord and that's what it means to follow jesus we set him apart from all others, from the things of this world, we, we give reference. We, uh, we go out and we face the world, but we first look inwardly and ask Christ to cleanse us. And then we go out and we live for Him and we affirm our commitment to Christ by the way we live. It's called not having pretense, not having hypocrisy or trying to get rid of hypocrisy and letting Christ be our life. I love when the Bible says you're a fragrance, you're, you're, you're a pleasing aroma. I mean, don't you love when you go into a place and this aroma just captivates your nose and your senses and you just smell it like right now, all of us. Let's just meditate for just a moment and think about today what we might be having for lunch or what we might like to have for lunch. Did anybody get an aroma? You're like, oh man, I can smell it now. I'm walking in the kitchen. That crock pot has been going since about 4.30 this morning. It's going to be awesome. And some of you are like, I'm going to a refrigerator and getting a cold sandwich. It's pretty nasty. There's nothing in my house. Okay. I don't know where you're at. But this whole thing, in this day, if they said Jesus Christ is God, the people would have been fine with it. They were polytheistic. They had many gods. But if you said Jesus is Lord, uh-oh, there was a fight on your hands. There was a fight to ensue because you had just declared Jesus Christ over Caesar. You had just declared Jesus Christ as master. You just declared him as ruler. So you, you begin to, you know, the whole thing with Daniel and uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and you know, everybody wants to, you know, he wants everybody to bow to him, and he has a statue and a monument built to himself. You're talking about an ego. That's another story for another day. But God says, I want you to declare me. I want you to live for me. I want you to love me. I want you to be committed to me. Um, when we say apologetics, apologia, apologion, and, and some people have gone, so we should make apologies for loving Jesus Christ? We should go, I'm sorry that I'm a Christian? <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, that's the farthest thing from the truth. Apologetics means I give a defense a reason for what I believe. And, and that's my prayers. Do you know what you believe? And then secondly, do you know why you believe it? See, it's not enough because my preacher told me to believe it. I mean, well, I'm going to tell you God's Word, but I want you to know in your heart, in your soul, this is what I adhere to. 
This is what I build my life on. This is what frames my life. The Spirit of Christ. Christ living in me. You see, you're never out of the courtroom as a Christian. You're in a living courtroom called the world, and every day you and I give a defense for why we love Christ. And you know, I said a few weeks ago, would there, you know, those adage, would there be enough evidence to convict you for being a Christian? And that's a kind of convicting thing when you think about it. Like, well, yeah, last week, man, I was really a good Christian. Today, man, I was like a jerk. And, uh, and so I need to get that right. So God's like, man, build our witness. Do this in us. And then what I've learned about studying apologetics over the decades is unbelievers are not dumb. Unbelievers have good questions. Now, because I've been trained in so much of this stuff, I have a lot of answers. But let me tell you what I'm learning is better than my answers is to listen to people. Be sincerely interested in what they believe. Let them state their side. And I know what we do. You are stupid. You are wrong. That's not going to win anybody to Christ. You listen to their story, and then you, when there's a turn for you, then to declare why you believe and what you believe and what God's doing in your life. We talked about this for a whole seven, eight, ten, twelve weeks upstairs as we were going through apologetics together. And I, maybe we'll do it again sometime. But we, we listen. Look what Scripture says. It says, "If someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this. Listen, underline it. Do it in a gentle and respectful way." People want to be respected. I want to be respected. You want to be respected. When people talk to me, I want to show them honor. You want to be shown honor. And we go, yes. I can answer in the authority and the power of the risen Christ, but I can do it with uh, a good defense, full of grace. And I want you to just, so there's this passion for goodness, a devotion for Christ, but look at this midsection of 15b. A readiness to defend your faith. Five things about sharing your faith. I'm going to do these quickly with you. It's a matter of the heart. What is your heart like? So the core of who you are is your heart for God. Is it pure? It, what is the affair of your heart? What has had impact on your heart? And, and, and you begin to go for it. I, it's like this. When, when you fall in love, guys, does anybody have to force you to tell somebody about the girl? Okay, guys, I want you to go home today. When you fall in love with this girl, does anybody force you to talk about her? No. Matter of fact, your friends go, give it a break. How about your mom and dad? Do you remember when you first fell in love and your parents are like, that's all we hear about is that girl, morning, noon, and night. Because, man, your heart has been captured. Your heart has been enveloped. You're in love. And you tell everybody. That's what Jesus wants. See, when Jesus capture our, captures our heart, man, you, you, just, you just talk about him, and you go, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and stay. And out of the overflow of my heart, I'm going to tell people about you. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. You just, the heart there is captured. Look at the next one. It's a matter of obedience. The Scripture says, set him apart as Lord. He's, he's master. He's ruler. Here, here at this point, I'm, I'm going to revere you, Jesus. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going I'm to go into the world. Because Jesus says, if you obey me, you'll follow me. And if you obey me, sometimes you'll go and you'll make a witness. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The third thing, 
you, you, you be on the alert. You stay on the alert. You're just sensitive to conversations with other people. I'm amazed how many people, if, if we would just begin to discern and ask the Holy Spirit to help us, that we can weave our witness, or we can listen, and we can tell they're hungry, they've strayed from God, they're, not, they're far from God, they're near to God, they're close to the kingdom of God. This Lord, help me to have ears, to have a spirit that's sensitive. And then, Lord, when I'm sensitive, then when you give promptings, that's the inner work of God. Help me to follow those promptings. See, this week, I'm really setting you up the best way I know, and I'm setting myself up because I want to be obedient. I want you to be obedient. I believe God is going to prompt us to bring people here next weekend, to invite people here to worship the risen Christ, to begin an eternal destiny relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. How many believe that? And if you really believe that, it's, it's like what I just talked about. When you're in love, nobody says, Johnny, now go tell everybody you have a girlfriend. Man, Johnny's done told everybody, he told the bus driver, he told the taxi driver, he told people at school. I mean, like, like, okay, here we go. I still remember when Rachel was born. We had just had her, uh, yeah, several years ago. And, uh, although she's young. And uh, we, uh, we, you know, well, of course, Donna didn't leave. She's in the hospital. And I'm thinking now, I've been here all day. I'm hungry. And uh, so I left with some family people, and we ran down to grab something to eat. And, and the first thing I knew, I was just walking up to strangers. Hey, I'm a brand new dad. Let me tell you about my little girl. I, I mean, I, I look back now like I was an obnoxious one. It's, I mean, you know, when you have a kid, you go, hey, put the kid in the car seat. Let's put a blanket over him, okay? We don't want anybody to know we have a kid. You're like, no. I mean, man, you hold them up front and center. I mean, look at you. You walk around on those things that weigh 4,700 tons, and you walk around. I am man. Watch me. And you know what's funny? I've noticed men struggle more than women carrying their babies. That's why women have hips. It's just a thought. And, and, and they put them right here. And guys, we're like, I work out. I'm strong. And you can't carry that baby. You're like, baby, could you? Like, I'm carrying, I'm carrying my little brute now, my little... McLean, I mean, he's, he was preemie when he got here, but he, he passed preemie, okay? And, uh, and I'm holding him, and I'm going, this body, I know, you can't believe it, but it used to work out a lot, and uh, that just does cardio stuff. And when I hold him, you know, I'm, I'm a physical wuss. <laughs> and, and, and my girls look at me, hey, Dad, you need some help? No, no, I'm man. <laughs> and I'm over here, man, my bones. Somebody come get the kid, he's heavy. Okay, here we go. All right. But I, I tell people about him. I'm, I'm on the alert. Look at the fourth thing. There's careful study. You engage others' minds. You, you study the scriptures. You, you, you read apologetic books. I could give you a whole list of that if you're really interested in this. And you just begin to engage and to display hope. And then the fifth thing, it demands consideration. This Jesus... He's worth everything. He demands the very best that you have. And so I thought that this guy in California, Judd, he, he made this statement. I loved it. Can you support and defend your faith in 30 seconds? Write that down. Can you support and defend your faith in 30 seconds? Very hard. It will take some work. Of course, we want the broader witness, but sometimes you just need to make a short, concise, net, powerful witness of Christ. What he's done for you. Because sometimes you don't have all day or you don't need all day and you just share, this is, this is why I'm a Christian. This is my response to Christ. I make Him Lord. 
And then sometimes people reject you. I understand that. I get rejected a lot. Rejection does not mean failure. Write that down. Rejection does not mean failure. I think rejection in the gospel means faithfulness to Christ, obedience to Christ. And sometimes people will understand, sometimes they won't. Just one old classic book, you might have a hard time finding it, Out of the Salt Shaker by Becky Manley Pippert. Great book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. I've always loved that concept because at our house we love salt. You love salt? Yeah. And you always get it out on your food. And Jesus says, get out of the salt shaker. Touch the world for Christ. Share Jesus. Try sharing how great he is. Conversational evangelism. And then verse 16, make sure you practice what you preach. And he talks about our conscience. He says, have, you, have a clear conscience. And many of you today, it's that inward work, it's that inward mechanism implanted in your mind, and it accuses you, it excuses you, it convicts you, it affirms you, but we all have a conscience. But here's what happens in Christ. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, guess what happens? The Bible says God cleanses you, and He cleanses your conscience. And He makes you sensitive to the things that are wrong. He makes you more sensitive to sin. You get, you get super hyper on this thing. And the Bible says, guard your heart, but guard your conscience. So this morning, I was just looking at some scriptures about our conscience, and, and write down Acts 23.1. Listen to God's Word. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin. That's a religious group. My brothers, I fulfill my duty to God and all good conscience to this day. Acts 24, 16. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. So it was the pursuit of his life and he strived to be clean. Romans 9, 11, Speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. And the last one, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Hold on to your faith, Timothy, and have a good conscience. Have a clear conscience. That's the criteria here, that God's calling believers to be pure and holy in their witness and to have a clear conscience. And he promises that he'll, he'll help us with that. And then I want you to see this next section. I might even come back in two weeks and finish it because then he says in verse 18, but Christ suffered for our sins once and for all. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. And then verse 19, look at this. And so he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. Now, this section here is one of the most controversial Challenging. I've read so many commentaries on this. I've studied this in the Greek. I've gone back to Hebrew and some of those things from Genesis. It is, it is, I'll try to give a quick stab at it. We'll, we'll see. Listen to this. A third of the angels fall that we know, and they were angels that worship God, and they are now called... Go ahead, I heard it. Demons. And there's two-thirds angels, and there's a third demonic uh, realm activity. And the angels are greater than the demons, but the demons do have great power. And I, I love when you, when you read this, there's this demonic realm that rebelled, as Isaiah tells us, and, and God kicks Lucifer, the head worshiper, out of heaven, as the Word tells us. And here they are, and, and there's this confined group. But you begin to read down here, and you also need to go Genesis 6. Just write down Genesis 6 because I won't have time to read all that today, and you begin to see how twisted, messed up demons are and the demonic influence. I mean, I mean you know, that's kind of their job anyway. And so they get into all this thing, and in Jude, uh, it's only one book, 
and it's verses 5 through 7, you, you begin to see these scriptures and you begin to see uh, what's happening here. And I'm going to read it to you in just a minute, but he, he talks about, matter of fact, here it is. Let's look at it together. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving the people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, He has kept in the eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. In this whole thing, he's talking here about the Nephilim. He's talking about this group of people who become the sons of God. They're, they're the fallen ones of God. They're the fallen angels. And, and in the scripture, and you study this, it says they are cast into the abyss, into the pit of darkness, into a bottomless pit. And they are kept there against that day, and once they will finally have the eternal reign or doom in hell, and that's where they'll be uh, punished forever and ever. But... These, these demonic creatures, these demons, they come and, and, and they have sex with humans, and it's, it's messed up. I mean, you, you just got to go read Genesis 6, and you got to read numbers and stuff. And, and guys, you read it, you go, whoa, I knew about Sodom and Gomorrah, but now you're talking about this. And it says they were giants. They had some wicked spiritual DNA. Matter of fact, I think it's part of why God brought the flood, because man was so sinful, and these people had done these abominations and these horrible acts. And God wipes it out, except for how many? Eight. That's what the scripture says. I know some of you are going, wow, man, this would be like a great storyline for a movie. These, these giants in the land, but we know from Joshua and other passages, they eventually get eliminated. And I'm so grateful for that. They're just twisted beings because, listen, they wanted to pollute the bloodline of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And God said no, that he would crush the head of Satan. How many of you are glad this morning that our God reigns and he rules and he crushes Satan? How many are thankful for that today? Okay, you're not very excited. Okay. All right. Well, I am. Because if, if he didn't, all this wickedness would be just even greater. You're saying, well, our place is pretty wicked. I know you're going, man, this is, this is like fascinating. This stuff's in the Bible. Oh, I thought it was funny. All right. Well, you, maybe you ought to read it. You know, you're like, man, Genesis 6, 5 through 7, 11 through 22. Just read Genesis 6, not now, but when you get home this afternoon, it'll keep you awake tonight. I promise. It, it's that good, okay? And, and then let me just move to this because I want you to see this. So, uh, and then look at this right here. Then he moves out of this preaching there in the abyss and Tartarus and all this. And he goes in verse 21, and that water is a picture of baptism. It's a, it's a symbol of baptism. And next weekend... We celebrate new covenant. We celebrate new life in Christ. Let me, hear me carefully. Baptism has never saved anyone. Baptism is a symbol. It's, it's an inward work, what God is doing in the heart of man. It is our faith and faith alone that saves us in Jesus Christ. And the church said, it's trusting in Christ, but in obedience, we follow Him. So I'm encouraging you, as, as, as good as I can today, I want you to follow Christ. If you've never followed Him in baptism next weekend, I, right now, I'm so excited. I want to stand on top of my chair, but I don't think I will, because some of you would send me emails. But next weekend, we're talking baptism for Easter, and some of you should follow Christ in this act. And man, what an Easter. I'm thinking, wow, man. That'd, that'd be so it symbolizes, it's this outward symbol of an inward transformation. I'm, I'm saved in Christ. And then I'm baptized, and then I follow Him. Lord, thank You for the Gospel. Thank You for, we win, we overcome. 
I'm going to invite the team to come. Because look there at verse 22. And now Christ has gone to heaven. He's seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers except His authority. And I'm just writing your Bible, the supremacy of Christ, the rulership, the headship, the master of Christ is over all. And, and that's, a, that's a good thing here. All are under the feet of King Jesus. So Lord, that's where we submit ourselves. This section, we're just suffering for doing good. And we just begin to walk down through here and seeing the submissive life to Christ. But I want to give you one scripture as they get ready. I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Kings. And you're like, how in the world did he get 2 Kings out of this? It's one of my favorite passages from this book. And the leopards go and visit the enemy camp. They are starving to death. It is horrendous. They, they decide to... If we stay where we are, we're going to die. If we go, we're going to get massacred, but let us go. And when they get there, uh, you know, everybody's vacated the camp, and there's all this loot, and there's all this food, and they're getting everything they can. But I want you to look there at chapter 7 in 2 Kings, and I want you to move down here at verse 8. And when the lepers arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine. They carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they hid it. And finally they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. And I remember when I first read this passage a few decades ago, I thought that is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. When I have the good news of the gospel, I've got to share it with other people. It is not right for Keith or you to hold the gospel and not share it with somebody that's far from God. And I know we live in Montgomery, Alabama, but there are a lot of religious people that don't have the risen Christ. I hope somehow by the Spirit of Christ today you're motivated to invite people to worship with you on the holiest of days, Easter. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, for your amazing presence, and help us to suffer and be persecuted for you and explain the hope that we have. And God, thank you for this next song, Let It Be Jesus. King Jesus, receive all the honor and all the worship in this place this morning. Lord, find us faithful to you in the name of Christ. Amen.